A quick warning, there are curse words that are unbeeped in today's episode of the show. If you prefer a beeped version, you can find that at our website, thisamericanlife.org. So a little while back, this guy named Ken Irwin started reaching out to people here at This American Life. Emmanuel got a voicemail that was both very insistent and deeply apologetic. Hi, I'm so sorry for calling you. I'm just trying to get a hold of someone at, like, This American Life or New York Times. I'm so sorry for interrupting you on your weekend. Chloe got messages on LinkedIn saying, quote, if you can give me five minutes to tell you what I know so far, I promise. It's a crazy story. And today is about to be, like, a million times crazier. Two weeks ago, my life was normal. I literally was just, like, working for Amazon. I was a normal person. On Dana's voicemail, he said he was sure she was way too busy to call back herself, but he swore our fact-checker could confirm everything he's saying. Basically, I became a multimillionaire over the last week and a half, which is insane. And the story is, like, so much crazier than what I'm even saying. To Brian, this guy wrote on Twitter, I have no idea where the story will go, as I'm stuck in it, trying to figure it out. But I think you're exactly the type of person that could figure it out. So, they all pass that information to me. Then I call the guy. Hi, this is Ken. Hey, Ken. Um, this is Ira Glass from This American Life. Oh, my God. That is amazing. Hi. Hi. <laughs> nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Um, thank you for calling. I did not expect to be talking to you. I, I'm so star- sorry for spamming your entire company. Right off the bat, he asked me if I knew what NFTs are. And I had a general idea that there are images and other things in the crypto world that people are selling to each other for a lot of money. For now, can I say that's all you need to know for this to make sense? He told me that this all began for him two weeks before our conversation, on August 22nd. This was a person named Adam McBride reached out. Um, If you Google him, he's like a, he calls himself an NFT archaeologist, like a, I don't know how to describe him. He has a podcast. So he reached out on LinkedIn and Gmail and basically told me, hey, if you're the owner of PixelMap, I need to talk to you immediately. PixelMap was a website that Ken created in 2016. He wants to tell me that basically I could make a lot of money if I brought the site back up. And I immediately assumed he was scamming me because, like, I mean, we all get emails like that all the time. (laughs) Right. And the only reason I talked to him was, he mentioned PixelMap. Like, the site has been down literally since 2017. So I just wanted to know, like, how he even <laughs> knew that word. Kenny made PixelMap just for fun and to teach himself a new programming language. He's somebody who's always uh, tinkering, inventing things, a hovercraft that could carry a dog. He has uh, three dachshunds and a fourth dog that he refers to as the randomly generated dog. One of his recent projects? He used a 3D printer to create another better 3D printer. His real job was uh, he worked for Amazon's web services company. He was one of their lead engineers developing code for big companies like Snapchat and Pinterest. He's 33, lives in Indiana. As for PixelMap... You can see it. Actually, you're going to think it looks stupid probably, but... (laughs) This is the kind of uh, self-deprecating remark I've learned that Ken does reflexively a lot. But in this case, the PixelMap.io website does look kind of primitive when you first see it. Like early 8-bit Nintendo or something. It's a, a grid of tiles. Picture 4,000 little tiles, and they're tiny. They're like each is 16 by 16 pixels. And the idea is anybody can buy the tiles, own them, and decorate them how they want. So people have different cartoons in them and words they've posted. 
When Ken uh, created this back in 2016, barely anybody noticed or cared. Maybe 20 or 30 people bought tiles. Within a year, he was pretty much done with Pixel Map. So uh, that is the project that this guy, Adam McBride, wanted to talk to him about. And so the same day that Ken gets Adam's email, that afternoon, he gets on a Zoom with him. He said basically what he does is he goes in and tries to find really old NFT projects and that he does it as like a, a hobby and really enjoys doing it. Mm-hmm. And he said that um, mine would be one of the earliest, even though 2016 is not that long ago, in the NFT space, that's like almost the oldest you can go. And that I'm probably sitting on a ton of money and I don't realize it. Sitting on a ton of money because in the crypto world, one kind of NFT that people get excited about and pay money for is what they call historic NFTs, the first NFTs that ever existed. Ken tells Adam, that's all great. What's an NFT? Adam gives him a quick primer. And had it ever occurred to you that what you had made was an NFT? No, because when I made it, there were no NFTs. (laughs) Like, I didn't even, like... The only time I, I had heard of NFT since then, I had heard like in the news that Steph Curry had one, and I really hadn't even looked to see what an NFT was, which I know sounds really stupid. Like, I, I truly completely forgotten about my site. And I, I was saying, like, how much do you think I could get for it? And he said, like, I, I've seen projects like this. I, I, I had one that the developer got over 100000 but looking at yours, like I think you could probably get five hundred grand out of it. And at that point, I like I, I thought it was really nice. I didn't think there was any chance on earth of that actually happening. <laughs> Adam McBride tells him, "I can help you set this up and get it relaunched, and people will pay you gobs of money for the rest of those four thousand tiles." He said he knows a group of guys who love the early historic NFTs, like this one. And they'll all talk it up on Twitter. They'll encourage people to buy. He says he's done this for a bunch of other old NFTs. But Adam tells him there was one little snag. Ken needs to lower the price of each tile. That's because back in 2016, Ken set the price of each tile at two Ether. Now, Ether, I didn't know anything about this. Ken had to explain this to me. Is the name of one of the big cryptocurrencies, like Bitcoin. And two Ether, back in 2016, was around 20 bucks. The problem, Adam explained, was that the value of Ether had blown up. And two Ether these days was now more than $6,000. Way too high for most people. He said I would be a lot better off and a lot more successful if, if I would set all of them to 0.35F. 0.35F. In other words, each image would cost 0.35 Ether, a third of an Ether. At the time, around $1,000. And, like, for me, that made complete sense. He told me he didn't really believe any of this was going to work anyway, but he figured, what's he got to lose? I'm just like, I'll go with it. So Ken started knocking down the price of his 4,000 tiles, which actually uh, took some time because the way he wrote the original code, the original program for Pixel Map, repricing each tile took a few minutes. And they had to do them by hand, one at a time, for hundreds and hundreds of tiles. Now, he could have written code to automate that process, but he said he wasn't thinking straight that particular week because that week, his dad had a heart attack and went to the hospital for bypass surgery. And so Ken was spending a lot of time at the hospital with his dad. Adam was sending messages that the buyers were, quote, pounding at the door, hurry up, do them faster. And some people were so impatient, 
they just paid the higher price, over $6,000, to Ether. Which, you know, leads to an obvious question. Why lower the price if people were paying to Ethereum for them? Uh, because I'm a moron. Um, <laughs> he said that the whole reason, like, that he was doing this big campaign. I, I have no idea. Like, my wife, she's not my wife, but I've been with her for 11 years. Uh, she basically, uh, she, she was like, if they're buying them at this, shouldn't we, like, raise the price to, like, 0.5 or 1 or just leave it at 2? Like, it looks like they want it. I was like, no, just I, it not. It was not smart. It was. I, I was worried that, like, what if they all of a sudden disappear or change their mind? Like, I, I have no idea, like, why they want it. Like, what's going on? All I know is if we sell them right now, we will literally. Like, I, I had done the math. I was like, we're looking at like two million or more if, if we sell all, like all of them, and. I've never had that kind of money. Like, literally, all I could think about was, like, I'm about to become a millionaire. And then the weird part of the story started happening. Wait, I wait, had... that, the weird part of the story hasn't even happened yet? Correct. <laughs> yes. What transpired next? He got a phone call that made him rethink everything that had happened to this point. And looked very differently at this guy, Adam McBride, who seemed so nice and helpful at first. He and I um, had a series of conversations over the course of weeks where all of this unfolded. Basically, Ken started off like most of us, I think. He hadn't been following this whole NFT thing, didn't know what they were. And then suddenly, like, like I don't know, somebody in a fairy tale who's transported to a strange new world where he learns like he's a prince or a knight or something, Ken gets pulled into this crypto world where he finds that he has all this cred, all this street cred as one of the first pioneers and once he's there, he starts to take a look around at the NFT world, sort of, you know, dazed, like, okay, you just made me a millionaire. Like, who are you people? And he does not like what he sees. And then some other things happen after that, which you'll hear. From WBEZ Chicago, it's This American Life. I'm Ira Glass. Seriously, stay with us. Act one, Planet of the Apes. Okay, so Ken repriced his tiles, and things went even better than Adam McBride said they might. He sold 3,000 tiles, earning him a total of $3.5 million. And the amount of time that took, from Adam's first email to $3.5 million, two days and six hours. Six days after that, basically the first Monday that rolled around after he had all that money, he did what uh, many people dream of doing if they hit the lottery or something. He quit his job. Not that he disliked his job. Just the opposite, he says. He really enjoyed his job. But he wanted to devote his time to developing PixelMap in various ways. Demand had pushed the price of PixelMap so high, $15,000 to $18,000 per tile. He decided to keep 900 of them for himself. But that's, I'm not at the weird part of the story yet. Okay. Like, <laughs> all right, so let's get to the weird um, part of the story. So the weird part, I mean, it's all weird, but the part that changed that was, this guy reached out to me um, and basically said, hey, I, I, I have, I've seen some things concerning on the transactions of Pixel Map. I wanted to reach out and see if I can talk to you about it. And he sounded like he was ticked off. So I was like, sure. I called him. Um, I've been talking to him literally every day since then. 
The guy was coming from Australia. He told him he'd been looking at all the Pixel Map sales, which is not something that's hard to do because every transaction with NFTs and with crypto is all public. That's how crypto works. And this guy was looking at the transactions, and the whole thing looked fishy to him. Why, he asked, were you lowering the price of all the tiles when demand for them was so high? He said he didn't know exactly what kind of ripoff Ken was running, but it made no sense. Like, he was positive it had to be a scam or else I was a complete moron. Like, that's the only two options. And I was like, I think I might be a moron then. And then he told me about CryptoPunks. Okay, CryptoPunks. CryptoPunks are this big, iconic NFT. And they're these little uh, cartoons. They're like punks, like 80s punks, like with mohawks or dyed hair, all of them slightly different. There are 10,000 of them. Cute, easy to understand. And they caught on. Celebrities bought them, Jay-Z, Serena Williams, Heidi Klum, Snoop Dogg. And a big part of their value, supposedly, was that they were among the earliest NFTs anyone ever made. And they were marketed that way as the original NFT, the first NFT. The average price of a CryptoPunk, when Ken was talking to the guy in Australia, $300,000 to $400,000 each. Each. Guy in Australia was like, Pixel Map is a year older than CryptoPunks. And so... There's absolutely no reason why yours wouldn't be worth even more than that. You're sitting on not a couple million, most likely several hundred million, unless you keep screwing up, essentially. But, like, he said that with, like, Australian words, which are less friendly. What were the words he used? <laughs> like, a, like, you need to stop being a fucking idiot. The guy from Australia said it didn't make sense to lower Pixel Map's price at all. Again, CryptoPunks were selling for $400,000, and Ken was reducing Pixel Map to $1,000. And the guy in Australia had a prime suspect for who might be benefiting most from this odd behavior, for who might be behind all of it. There was a bot, a bot that purchased 1,000 Pixel Map tiles at the lowest price and then watch the price double and double again and again and again. The bot. The bot was the biggest owner of Pixel Map. Whoever was behind the bot had made a ton of money. I remember him saying, who do you think owns the bot? Ken's first thought, Adam McBride. After all, it was Adam McBride who talked him into doing this illogical thing of lowering the price. But then he thought, did Adam McBride have that kind of money? Like, a thousand tiles cost more than a million dollars. So he had another suspect, a rich guy, somebody who could be the money behind Adam McBride. And I just want to say, I know this is a very random name to be pulling out of the air and putting into the story, but the rich guy Ken suspected was the president of the Philadelphia 76ers, Daryl Morey. Daryl Morey, who very publicly has talked about loving NFTs and who Ken suspected because Adam showed him that Mario had bought a few tiles of Pixel Map very early, like even before Adam relaunched the site officially, before Adam told the world about it. How did he know to do that? Maybe he also created the bot to quietly snag an extra thousand tiles. Like I'm almost certain that it's either Adam or Daryl or a combination that got those. I am trying to prove it by getting, but like, I don't, I don't know for sure. It's just literally those were the only two that would have known that early on because the thousand were basically right at the very beginning. Yeah. And they, they had a right to get it, but Adam told me, like, 
he was specifically telling me the only way it would work is if I, and I sound like a moron right now even saying this, but to lower the price and make them out as fast as possible. Like, he, he, so. I don't want to be, I don't want to be rude, but it sounds like Adam probably asked you to lower the price so he could buy more of them because he knew the price yes. was going to go up. Yes. Um, and he got a thousand of them. So have you asked Adam? No. It, so. Why not? So I'm basically still playing the stupid card because I'm trying to get proof of it. Like, like there is the like 0.01% chance that he didn't do, like, I don't even know how it would be possible that it's not him. But like, I want to know if it's him or if it's him and Daryl or like who it is. Ken, can I ask you like, like why be so mad at Adam? You didn't know what you had. He let you know he made you a millionaire. And he's also on the internet making the market for you. He's actually finding buyers for you. He's talking it up. He's making the whole thing happen. Why shouldn't he make money? Like, who who cares if he gets, who cares if he owns a thousand of them? You own nine hundred of them, and you'll make a lot of money. You you sound like my wife. Um. So, <laughs> no. Uh. There there's so two reasons, and like one, I gave him a half million dollars as like a thank you because I went full moron. Like, I cannot tell you how bad that sucks that I did that. But like, I, I'm just adding that to the story. Okay. Um, okay. But the other part of that though was when he was te- like talking to me the first day, he told me like I'm not because I was like, there's has to be something in it for you. Like, why would you just do this? And he was he told me he's basically doing it because he enjoys making people happy. And if I want to reward him at the end of it, I can. If not, he just likes to do it. So part of it is him just lying like outright and grabbing the thousand. Right. It's more about being, like, him just lying to me. It's just, like, not nice. It was galling and sort of mind-bending that this guy who'd seemed like such a pal, so supportive, could have been playing him for a sucker all along, ripping him off at the exact moment he was making Ken richer than he'd ever imagined he'd be. You don't have to know uh, much about crypto to know that it is rife with scams of all kinds. Ken wanted to figure out who was behind the bot because he wanted to understand what had just happened to him? Was he like the Rube who was so naive that he didn't even realize that his pocket was being picked? What was real and what was not in this new world that he suddenly found himself in? We agreed to stay in touch. Four days later, Ken texts me saying, there's news, and we get on the phone. It's September 11th, his birthday. We chat a little about how it's been kind of a weird birthday to have most of his life. But that's not the news. He also has COVID, but it's a mild case. That's also not the news. And so what's new? Well, he's been spending a lot of time trying to understand what's really happening with NFTs, especially with Adam McBride and the guys who buy these historic NFTs. And he's convinced it's pretty ugly. Yeah, it's not like a maybe. Like, I have proof, like, out the app, sorry for language, I, I have a lot of fucking proof. They are doing this actively, like, with project after project. It's really fucking horrible what they're doing. I don't think it's illegal. Like, like I'm not saying any of it's illegal. It's, I think it's hugely wrong and unethical, but there's no laws about it. But honestly, like, like this is coming from the person that made the second NFT, if I have it right. 
I don't think they should fucking exist. He means NFTs. I think it's a horrible scam that's screwing over people. Like the whole thing. Ken said that he sees everything that Adam McBride and his guys are doing because they've kind of adopted him and included him in their chat groups on Discord. Discord, um, if you don't know, is a chat site. Adam refers to the guys in his Discord group as the apes. And I had no idea what an ape was other than like a monkey. Um, It's just like people that are ridiculously enthusiastic about NFTs. And when they find out about one, they just like go in and grab them like crazy. That's called aping in. Ape is a word that you actually hear a lot in the NFT world. One big um, NFT is the Bored Apes Yacht Club. To show me um, what is so horrible about what Adam's doing, Ken calls me back from his computer so he can share his screen. Testing? There we go. Sorry, it took me a while. My microphone wasn't plugged in. This is the moment I see him for the first time. He's clean cut, with short hair, neatly trimmed beard, and the general vibe of the friendliest, most sincere tech support guy in the world. For his job, he does video calls in front of a green screen with a really nice microphone, and that's what he has in this call. He goes uh, to open up Adam's Discord group, NFT Archaeologist. Uh, here it is. So um, this just happened. So at 2.44 p.m., like just a few months ago, Adam said, all right, everyone, Please do not tweet or send this out to anyone. I want to keep this opportunity to this community only. And this is how he always does it. This is what he did with Pixel Map. I just didn't know the group yet. What Adam McBride is doing right here is he is rolling out another one of these historic NFTs. This particular one is called Aether, A-E-T-H-E-R. It was created in 2018, two years after Pixel Map. Like Pixel Map, uh, most people never noticed it back when it was created. But now, Adam's going to help relaunch it the way that Adam relaunched Pixel Map. He'll get people to finally pay money for what are basically, uh, in this case, virtual imaginary buildings in a virtual digital city. Ken and I uh, read the conversation that's happening in the chat. McBride is telling the apes, let's all buy into this and get out there on Twitter, tell everybody we know to buy it as well. So he's basically saying, go crazy on Aether, Aether. I don't know how to say it. And to make this especially appealing to the apes, McBride says that he has negotiated with the guy who created Aether to offer Aether to his apes at a special low price, quote, well below what I think they're going to sell for. And to get the special low price, he tells them he's going to hold a live event on Discord at 9 a.m. Eastern time on Sunday. The apes respond, Adam, that's a fantastic opportunity for us all. Thanks for this. Much appreciated. You're the goat, Adam. Sunday's the next day. At 9 a.m., the apes gather. So get ready. It's coming up at any second here, okay? So, right, there is the voice of Adam McBride in the Discord. You hear him, but you do not see him. You see his screen share as he clicks on various stuff. And to give you a sense of the very happy, let's make a deal, take a look at what's behind the curtain vibe of the whole thing, here is the moment when he gave 50 of his apes the chance to sign up to buy Aether on the cheap for around 340 bucks. He told the apes a sign-up sheet was about to go live. I am going to, in the next minute or so, make that public. And the first 50 of you guys who paste your name in there, we're going to give you a private sale link. So get ready. Get your stuff ready. I hope you're all ready right now. Be ready. So at some point in the next seconds, uh, you guys tell me if you see the... Oh, my God. Boom. Apage. 
The sign-up sheet has appeared. Names start filling in. You guys are fast. I see my man Curio Collector got in there. Let's see who else got in the top for sure. Uh, Chibbers got in there. Ugly Punky got in there for sure. Bottom Bolly, nice. Space Llama, good to see you, brother. He got in there for sure. That That's just like I wanted to have some sort of apage uh, possible. I think apage is always appreciated and fun. Man, I hope you guys enjoyed this. I definitely, I always enjoy this stuff. And of course, I'm always available. All this stuff that Adam McBride did, it was effective. It pushed up the price of Aether. At some point in this, Ken took me to a site called OpenSea, which is a, the big trading platform where people buy and sell NFTs. And we watch as the apes descend from the trees and grab Aether. Yeah, so see where it says, see two mets, three mets, four mets, and see the price is going up? It was point like one four or whatever. There's one that just went for 3.9. I guarantee it's going to be going crazy. By this evening, it's going to be crazy. Actually, right now, you should go buy Ether because, like, it's about to go up. <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying to do that, but yeah, that's about what, that's what's going to happen shortly. I have to say, it was kind of amazing sitting there watching the numbers go up, knowing that this was as close to a sure thing as I would ever get. It was like free money right there. But um, I didn't buy anything. By Monday, the average price of Aether had risen from $2,000 to $5,000. That's in one day, more than doubled. And it also meant that the 50 apes who signed up on Adam's list for the special low price of $340, each of them now owns something worth $5,000. A little higher, yeah. A little bit better. So those guys could just get out, and they'll have just made out like bandits already. Yes, yeah. So what Adam's doing is working. Yes. You just literally like kind of rolled your eyes. It, no matter. So the reason that I rolled my eyes is because like it's, it's a zero sum thing. So like someone's making money no matter what. And when they do, that means someone's losing money. And basically the earlier you are, the better it is. If you know news before other people, Basically, if you're one of these people, you're going to make out really well. Lots of other people, Ken believes, will lose money. What we're seeing in his view is a classic pump and dump. Something that, if you did it in the stock market, would be totally illegal. The apes get in early, talk up Aether on Twitter, encourage other people to buy, which pushes up the price. Then in a couple of days, when the price is at the highest, they sell, taking a quick and sizable profit. Without the hype, the NFT's price falls, and anybody left holding it takes a beating, loses money. In fact, today, in the months uh, since that day when Adam relaunched Aether, the price has plummeted. It's now down as low as $900 some days, very different from those early booming days when it was $5,000. And I don't think that many as many people as you think are going to make the money. Like, every ape in here is probably going to do okay, but it's not going to be good for the people outside of it that hop on the train last. And that's what Ken thinks is kind of evil about the world of NFTs. Why he thinks they're a scam and shouldn't exist. Seeing all this uh, made me wonder if any of this is actually illegal. And I've now talked to a bunch of lawyers about it. Lawyers who deal with NFTs and crypto and security fraud, including two who advise companies that release NFTs. And I described what I saw Adam McBride do. 
in relaunching Aether. And all of them told me that NFTs are so new, the law is still pretty vague. There haven't been many lawsuits or much government enforcement in NFTs. But they pointed to two things that could be problematic. Okay, first, if Adam and the Apes were pumping and dumping, specifically if they were lying about Aether or about their own trading, that would be an issue. Like, if they were going onto Twitter and telling people that Aether is a great investment worth seeking money into for the long run, but then uh, if they themselves only held onto it for a few days until the price rose and then they sold it, that would be illegal. That would be market manipulation. The second thing uh, the lawyers pointed to, transparency is key. If Adam uh, was going out giving a special price to 50 people to generate buzz and excitement, that is a normal kind of promotion in lots of industries, one of the lawyers says. He said that could be fine. But the key to that being okay is that Adam would need to disclose it all publicly so that any possible investor can find out that some people got a special, cheaper price. If Adam didn't do that, he would be in danger of some investor maybe somebody who lost money, later suing him over holding back that information. Okay, so was Adam crossing the line into illegality with either of those things? Ken still didn't have proof of that, either way. As for the bot, that mysterious bot purchased a thousand pixel map tiles, a fourth of all the tiles. Ken started to worry that it was someone much more sinister than Adam behind the bot. One day he texts me, panicked about what he's learning about the bot. So scared about it that he doesn't know if he wants to go on the radio anymore. I guess the short part is just I'm kind of freaked out. Like, um, it's just, it, it's it's so much bigger than what I, like, the bot account that I was telling you about is just much, much bigger. He sent me a screenshot that showed that the account had done nearly two billion dollars in trades. Specifically, it's 1.84 billion since it was created 14 months before. This is not some, like, normal person. This is, like, a legitimately smart, probably group of bad people. Like, it's a very well-organized thing. You don't think it's possible that it's just a bunch of investors, like the group that Adam has assembled around him where it's like a hundred people and together they have a lot of money. I don't, I don't think he's sophisticated or like, yes, he might be working for this group or something, but he's not, um, I don't think he's smart enough to be like this. He wouldn't be doing what he's doing if he had this much money. This is a totally different league of someone. He could be like the Russian mafia or something. I know that sounds ridiculous, but like, this is only one account. Like people that have that much money and are doing that type of behavior are not into people like blowing the whistle on them. Blowing the whistle, he means talking about them publicly on the radio. I don't know. There are no good movies where like the person that plays me makes it to the end and has like a happy life. Like it's usually like the person that's like me gets killed. Wait, there are whistleblower movies where the whistleblower makes it to the end and lives? I don't know. I literally don't have, I don't have a fence. I don't have, like, not that a fence would stop anything. I have, like, no, I live in Indiana. I'm probably the only person that doesn't have a gun in the state. Like, like I, I seriously, legitimately feel like my name being on a story could result in me, like, not existing. Or, like, my family. Like, I legitimately feel that way. I'm not, like, exaggerating. Like, that's how I feel. 
I tell him on the call and later in email that I'll respect any choice he makes. And of course, it's fine if he drops out of the story. But is he right about that $1.8 billion in trades? Couldn't the bot just be making a ton of trades with a much smaller amount of money? Maybe the bot's even buying from itself to drive up the price of NFTs. That's something that happens in the NFT world. Kenny mails back, says maybe I'm right, but maybe not. Though he's getting a new tool that could tell us how much money is really behind all those trades. So we could decide if he really thinks it's a criminal syndicate behind all this and get a better sense of how much risk there is for him. What he's getting is software developed by a company called Chainalysis. And it's usually used by governments and law enforcement and financial institutions to track who's doing what in NFTs and crypto. It could tell Ken what the bot was buying and selling and to who, what other accounts it interacted with. I'm talking to the Chainalysis people today, Ken wrote me. A few days pass while Ken uses the Chainalysis tool to look at who bought and sold pixel map tiles and look at what the bot was doing. And then he texts me. I have lots of updates. I was wrong about pretty much everything. What he found, and my conversation with the bot, or anyway, the guy's behind the bot. That's in a minute from Chicago Public Radio when our program continues. It's This American Life from Ira Glass. Today's program, The Reluctant Explorer. We have the story of somebody who finds himself in this new world that he never asked to be part of and he decides to take a look around to figure out the truth of what is going on. I came along for the ride. We're right now in the middle of our story about Ken Irwin and Pixel Map. And before we go further in that story, I'm thinking that this might be a good moment to explain uh, what NFTs are in a little more detail for everyone who's gotten this far in our story and still actually does not know what they are. So, okay, NFTs, they're images or artwork or video clips or basically anything that you can post online. The key thing that makes them an NFT is that someone can say they own it. And ownership is possible because a record of who owns the NFT gets stored on something called a blockchain. And lots of people know what a blockchain is, but lots of people do not. So I'm just going to say the blockchain is a set of computers. They're all over the world, and they all store exactly the same data. And anybody can look at that data. They're like a, a public ledger that anybody can read. So blockchains store the records of who owns which NFTs, who owns cryptocurrencies. And right now, all kinds of people are inventing all kinds of things to throw up on the blockchain. It's a messy, anarchic chaos, really. At one end of things, you have, like, the NBA selling videos of great dunks as NFTs, basically uh, reinventing sports trading cards for the crypto world. Very old school, very commercial. At the other end, uh, you have stuff like uh, some people who burned a Banksy print and then sold a digital copy of the print, like a picture of the print, for way more than the original ever cost. That one uh, was like a lot of uh, crypto stuff in that. It was kind of making fun of the whole idea that anybody would think that the NFT was worth anything. The original Banksy print actually had this sentence as part of the image, quote, I can't believe you morons actually buy this shit. So let's um, pick up our story where we left off. Act two, in the time of chimpanzees, I was a monkey. So what have you figured out since we last spoke? Everything. Literally everything. Yeah. Do you want, do you want me to show you like how I found out? 
Ken screen shares me so I can see how the chain analysis software maps somebody's crypto transactions. And I have to say, it is a very satisfying chart to look at with dots of different colors and lines and arrows connecting them. It took him days to look into all these transactions. But when he did, he learned, for once and for all, Adam was not the bot. The rich guy he suspected, Daryl Morey, president of the 76ers, also not the bot. So who was the bot? Ken started to look at everything the bot was doing. And he found that whoever made the bot had not covered their tracks completely. Ken spotted this one address that the bot sent money to that was different from all the others. So I got really lucky on this one. Lucky because he also found the same address on a message board asking for fake ether. Yes, fake ether. Programmers use fake ether to test new pieces of code they're writing. Like you, you never do this with someone else's address. You always do it with your own. I actually did this with my own. This address led Ken to an account on GitHub. Uh, GitHub is where pretty much everyone on the planet stores their source code. There's other competitors, uh, but it's Microsoft owns it now. It's wonderful. The GitHub account name was a pretty unusual name. And then Ken found a Twitter account with the same name. That Twitter user had to be the bot. And it has, like, he has an awesome little avatar. It's a Pikachu with, like, a little, uh, like, headband belt Mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. And he looks a little angry. Ken reaches out, DMs him on Twitter. So I said, I'm the creator of Pixel Map. I would love to talk to you if you have any time. And, like, when I typed this, I was freaking out. Like, I was so excited. Then I said, I'm relatively certain that you bought over a thousand and just wanted to talk with you if you'd be open to that. And a smiley, because I was like, <laughs> my smiley was just, like not freaking him out. Then the guy writes back. So he said, hmm, interesting. I'm curious, how did you come to this conclusion? Which is like a really good freaking question. So I said, ah, I found your address connected to the bot account on both receiving and sending funds. And then I added another smiley like to keep it like, I don't want to think that I'm trying to like threaten him or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Ken asked the guy how he found Pixel Map and started buying so quickly. The guy says he saw Adam's tweet. And he asked again, how did you find me on Twitter? With a little puzzle smiley. Ken explains how he found him. So then I wanted confirmation. Like I wanted him to validate that I was right. I said, ah, is it you? Did you get over a thousand? No connection to Daryl or Adam other than his tweet? And like at this point, I'm thinking that there is no connection, but I'm just double checking. So he goes, yes, I own a lot of tiles, but don't know who Daryl is. I saw this as a historical project in Ape 10. After that, it's very amicable. And then he goes, they well, chat about well, collaborating well, maybe someday. And the guy tells Kenny as a partner that he does all this with. He tells him how to get in touch with the partner. He and the partner also agreed to talk to me on the condition that I wouldn't give their real names or record their voices. We did a session over Zoom. The two guys behind the bot are living in the Mideast, both in their 20s. Though, uh, when they turned on the camera, one of them said, I know I don't look like I'm in my 20s. Crypto makes you age faster. A week in crypto is like a year. It's 24-7. A lot of things happen. They both got into crypto in uh, 2016, 2017. One of them was making money selling digital weapons to gamers for games like Counter-Strike Global Offensive. Started doing a lot of those transactions in Bitcoin. And then Bitcoin blew up. They got into NFTs. Were liquidators for decentralized finance sites, which is like being kind of a crypto repo man. They just launched an NFT trading site of their own to compete with OpenSea, but they're calling Gollum. They're um, big Lord of the Rings fans. 
I asked them about the $1.84 billion in transactions, and they said they have about $100 million that they invest with, and they just spend that over and over. They totally nerded out when we talked about Pixel Map. Like, they've decorated a bunch of their tiles. If you go to the pixelmap.io website, you can see where they combined a bunch of their tiles to write Gollum, and some others to write Donda, uh, their big Kanye fans. This is all, uh, can I say, <laughs> very different from what Ken imagined that the bot was controlled by a murderous criminal syndicate or by somebody in league with Adam McBride trying to swindle him. It was definitely shocking, but it was like, uh, it probably impressed was the biggest thing. Impressed because when Ken found the first guy's GitHub account, he looked at the code he'd written. And like looking through his stuff, I was like, this guy's got some good code. Like, just like as a developer, he's a good dev. Just super impressed. Um, So for me, I don't know, he's like one of my people. Which, of course, was kind of reassuring in a small world, the monsters we imagine are not real sort of way. But at the same time... I I would honestly say, like, there was some disappointment, um, which sounds weird. Like, I definitely did not want to, like, get attacked by the Russian mafia. But, like, I really thought that I was going to, like, blow the cover on this huge, like, huge thing. Um, I thought that was going to be super cool. Yeah, there was something like there's something exciting about the thought of like I'm going to uncover a massive criminal syndicate, or or at least like the president of the 76ers. Yeah, like that that's a cooler story. Okay, so if the bot's not Adam and doesn't have anything to do with Adam, what was Adam's angle? Why did he insist on lowering the price of Pixel Maps so much? Was he pumping and dumping Pixel Map and other NFTs? And did he know that Ken suspected him of being this two-faced mastermind, up to no good? Never. I had no idea. Literally no idea that he was suspecting me. This, of course, is Adam McBride. When we talked, I went into detail about all of the things that Ken had suspected him of. I read him quotes where Ken said that there was 0.01% chance that Adam wasn't deliberately ripping him off. Adam seemed truly amused by this. It's just crazy, man. <laughs> it's crazy. But, you know, I get it. I, I understand his thought process. Like, it makes sense. But at the, I mean, when I hear it, it's shocking. <laughs> like, I wouldn't have even thought about doing that. I was surprised to learn when I talked to Adam that Adam got hooked on NFTs only six months before he pulled Ken into that world. Basically, what happened is uh, March of last year, a bunch of these quote unquote historic old NFTs were rediscovered and started making tons of money. I mean, it just like it's it flipped a switch in my brain, like holy cow! It was literally like, oh my god, there's gold. Get your shovel, go dig, because there's gold there. All you got to do is go find it. For the next four months, he says he spent ten hours a day searching for other early NFTs by googling phrases like digital collectibles, blockchain art, blockchain collectibles. He found fifteen or twenty old NFTs that seemed like they might work. But most of them, he says, there was some problem in the original programming or whatever that made them unsuitable to sell today. He did find a few that were suitable. And then he and a friend found Pixel Map. And from the beginning, they thought it would be a big hit if they could just convince its creator to lower the price. And the reason that they lowered it so much, well, by that point, Adam had a little experience. And the only, the one NFT relaunch I failed at, we set that price too high and it, it failed. Which one was this? It's called uh, etherization. People didn't buy enough of them. They didn't buy enough of it. So he made his best what guess for Pixel Map's price. You have to and it worked out better than any NFT he's done before or since. 
People just went nuts. Yeah, it was a rocket ship. I mean, a complete rocket ship. How many tiles did you buy? Three. (laughs) I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot. You know, it's funny because I I wasn't looking. I was more looking for, you know, the fame and recognition than the money. I don't even know what to say. Like, yeah, it was just like, it was more about like, look at McBride. He rediscovered this. This is awesome. Okay, to be clear, he did make a half million dollars off this, the money that Ken handed him as a thank you. But he didn't know that was going to happen. Usually he says the NFT creators give him nothing. And nobody's given him close to this much. He does want to make money in NFTs. But what Adam McBride also wants, just as much it seems, is that he wants to make historic NFTs like a thing. Get them respect. Create a much larger community that's into them. That's his angle. If he succeeds, yeah, he'll make money on all the historical NFTs that he owns personally. But it's also now become kind of a personal mission for him. He wants historic NFTs to be remembered and valued. And for that reason, he's not pumping and dumping with his own NFTs. Like, there's no dumping. He's still holding on to his tiles of Pixel Map and the other historic NFTs he's launched. Ken actually looked at Adam's transactions with the Chainalysis tool and confirmed that in all the transactions that he could find, Adam buys a few NFTs of each of his projects and then basically just holds on to them. As for the um, other big feature of a pump and dump scheme, deception. I couldn't find any examples of Adam lying about the NFTs he promotes or making false promises about how much money people would make. When it comes to the um, other concerns of the lawyers that I talked to about Adam and the way that he released that NFT Aether to 50 of his apes at a special low price, just to remind you, uh, they said basically if people were getting a lower price, Adam needed to disclose that to the world, to anybody who might be considering buying Aether. Well, I actually do do that. Like with Aether, it was on Twitter before we did any sort of like giveaway or opportunity. Anybody could have joined that Discord. Anybody could have got it in. We wanted more people in. That's um not true at all. After we talked, I went back and looked at Adam's tweets from back then. And he never tweeted about the fact that you could get a really low price on Aether by coming to this event whether he had held the event at all. In fact, on Discord, um, he is saying to his followers things like, do not tweet or send this out. I want to keep this opportunity to this community only. Keep it on the down low. He did um, mention the giveaway in a post that he did on Medium after it happened. So we got back on the line. Hey, Ira, how you doing? I'm doing good. How you doing? Pretty good. Memory is a funny thing, isn't it? <laughs> Oh, the webs we weave with our brain, man. It is funny. He told me that when he went back and looked at what happened with Aether, he realized back then he saw a chance to use the discounted NFTs to reward the people in his Discord, which he calls the Alpha Discord. Um, Even though it's a public community, anybody can join it. At that point in time, it was like, people were like, why are we in the Alpha Discord if we're not getting any Alpha? Alpha in the NFT world means special information, intel, stuff everybody else doesn't have yet. Right. Why are we here if you're not going to give us some like awesome info? Right. And so this I was trying to reward people who'd been who were in there for a while. He told me that this was all in the spirit of creating a larger community of people who value these historic NFTs. In general, 
I have to say the fact that Adam did not think to disclose this special giveaway that he did for the apes just shows how much he and so much of the NFT world is just making it up as they go along. Everyone is still figuring out what laws are going to apply to them. Like, there was this moment when I was talking to Adam where I told him exactly how much disclosure the lawyers thought would be smart for him to do to avoid lawsuits. And it was news to Adam. No, it's good, it's good advice, and I, I, I hear it. Um, I think I've acted appropriately. I think intention matters. So I feel pretty good about what I've done. Well, that's what all the criminals say. <laughs> well, we'll see. Come visit me in jail, Ira. Will you please come visit me in jail? It's now been a half year since my initial phone calls with Ken. Half a year where he's been traipsing around the NFT world that he found himself transported to. And he's acting more and more like a local. Not exactly an ape yet, but definitely more ape-tolerant. NFTs don't seem so evil to him anymore. In fact, the exact thing that he thought was so terrible. NFTs that get hyped, everybody piles on as the price rises, and then people sell and take a quick profit, leaving lots of losers in their wake. He's now speculated like that himself. Made money on a few things, lost money on others. He says with those NFTs, with most NFTs, he thinks, actually, everybody knows the price is going to go up for a little while and then crash. And everyone knows that and everyone's just trying to time it. Time when they'll sell. If you time it right, then you do pretty well. And it's it definitely feels like a, like a game, sort of. Um, like, the more I am in the space, the more it feels like we're all kind of at a casino and there's no... Because there aren't any rules, it's fair. Everyone is doing this type of thing. And I don't think there's anything morally wrong with it. Oh like, my God, listen I to don't you. Think... You are so different than you were. <laughs> maybe, I've been, maybe I've been corrupted. What changed him exactly? The whole NFT world started to look different to him the moment he realized he wasn't being scammed. Suddenly it didn't seem like he'd landed in a dark woods full of thieves trying to take advantage of him. Yeah, the reason why I was so angry until that point was I thought that it was like an in-house, like that had been lied to by Adam this entire time. Yeah. And then to find out that like, like he actually did a really good job of relaunching it and he actually was helping me. Right, so you realize like, oh, wait a second. Oh no, this stranger actually did something good for me. Yes, and he literally didn't charge me. Like, yes, I tipped him, but um, I know if he never existed and I somehow knew that I should relaunch Pixel Map and like list it, I would not have done as good of a job. Like, I had no idea. A anything like that is not my skill set. Yeah, no, he he was like legit. Ken also met a bunch of developers like him who weren't scammers. They were just buying NFTs for fun. It was like he found his people and the whole NFT world seemed less ominous. Not that he thinks very much of most NFTs. 99% of them, he thinks, are pretty much junk. Either intended as junk to make a quick buck or just misconceived ideas in the first place. I have to say this is not an unusual opinion. It was interesting to me that the biggest NFT enthusiasts that I talked to for this story, people who really love NFTs, they pretty much agreed with that. Adam McBride says 99% of all NFTs released today will probably end up being worth nothing. He says that most people probably should not get into NFTs right now. The bot guys put the number at 90% worthless. I read that one of the big NFT moguls, Gary Vaynerchuk, 
predicted that 98% of NFTs would lose money. Ken's life these days, he's still in the same house he was before all this. A Victorian with turquoise shutters and gnomes and trinkets and dachshunds everywhere. He's paid off the mortgage with his pixel map money. Bought himself a nicer computer and a fancy sports car that now he thinks he's going to get rid of. Paid over a million dollars in taxes. I was like, um, is most of your money still in Ether? His price goes up and down. And he explained that now he's converted more than half of it into regular U.S. dollars for safety's sake. But he said that having all that money hasn't really changed much in a day-to-day way. He's working more than ever, he said. Except now it's all on Pixel Map. I feel like you're in this weird situation where most of your working life you were actually doing things and developing code for big companies, you know, Amazon and Snapchat, and people would use the code, like it would, it would do stuff all over the world. And then this thing that you built that's completely useless. I hate you. It, I'm just you know, playing. That doesn't contribute no, what, to society, no, really. What you don't realize is I have been contributing to pointless causes my entire career. So, like, when I worked at Salesforce, it was to help make sure that on Black Friday, you get spam emails from like Best Buy and mm-hmm. every other company. And that's yeah. like, so. So are you saying like this idea of like before you were a productive contributing member of society? I'm saying I was never, I was never a productive member. But like, do you think about the fact that like, like the thing that made you rich is this thing that doesn't. It's very odd that I've written probably like a million, I, I don't know how many lines, but a lot of lines of code and PixelMev is 70 lines. So it is very odd that 70 lines that I wrote for fun, yes, it's very odd. It feels, I think the best way I can describe it is it feels like I found a cheat code, like in a game, but for real life. Like you type in the thing and then all of a sudden like your bank account isn't an issue. It's very odd. Time he spends working on Pixel Map every day. A couple of hours of that is chatting on Discord with the people who own tiles. But with sucking up most of his time, Ken's designing a video game for the Pixel Map site. He's paying a musician and an artist and a game developer and a project manager and doing lots of coding himself. He's always wanted to make a video game. And now he has the luxury of being able to spend as much time as he wants doing that. He knows this video game is not going to make him any money, but he just likes making stuff. That's the impulse that led him to create Pixel Map in the first place. program was produced today by Michelle Navarro with David Kestenbaum. The people who put together today's show include Elna Baker, Chris Bender, F. Susan Burton, Zoe Chase, Sean Cole, Michael Kamate, Miki Meeks, Stone Nelson, Catherine Raimondo, Elise Spiegel, Robin Semyon, Alyssa Ship, Laura Starcheski, Christopher Suatala, Matt Tierney, Julie Whitaker, and Diane Wu. 
Our managing editor is Sarah Abdurrahman. Our executive editor is Emmanuel Barry. Special thanks today to Kevin Roos, Timothy Massett, Hal Jackson, Matt Levine, Aaron Klein, Samantha Ventura, Chris Crawford, and a bunch of people in the NFT world who asked not to be named but who know who they are. This um, episode right now is our last episode with one of our longtime producers, Robin Semyon. She's been here for nearly 15 years, produced so much memorable stuff, including our live show at BAM and what may be my favorite episode we've ever done, 129 Cars, about a car dealership trying to make its monthly quota. She won us a Peabody with her episode Anatomy of Doubt. She's a, a force behind the scenes here, too. She will be very much missed. She's off to create a new podcast series that she's been thinking about for years. I definitely know I'll be listening. Our website, thisamericanlife.org. You can stream our archive of over 750 episodes for absolutely free. Also, there's videos. There's lists of favorite programs if you're looking for something to listen to. There's tons of other stuff there. Again, thisamericanlife.org. This American Life is delivered to public radio stations by PRX, the public radio exchange. Thanks, as always, to our program's co-founder, Mr. Tori Malatia. You know, before he got into radio, he worked for years as a field biologist. He was actually... Jane Goodall's assistant for a long time, but um, she fired him because whenever they would sneak up close to a pack of chimps, he'd yell, Oh my God. Boom. Apage. I'm Aaron Glass. Back next week with more stories of this American life. Mm-hmm.